Welcome to the Chapel Young Adults Monthly Service, a ministry of Chapel in Florence, Alabama. We're so grateful that you are here today worshiping with us. We believe that you are here for a reason. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram for more information at wearechapelya, or join us at one of our monthly services that falls on the first Tuesday of each month. I have, uh, I've decided that David makes me more nervous with a microphone than Reagan does, which is really saying something. Um, thank you for that, that warm welcome there, David. Um, man, you guys sound great tonight. I think uh, whoever's upstairs at the Gun Runner, uh, they were in for a treat tonight. Y'all, y'all sound a great little serenade going on. Maybe somebody probably got saved up there. It's just my guess. Um, no, but I, like, like David said, um, we welcome you guys. If you've not been here, there's a few more people that, that came in since uh, I was up here last. So welcome. Glad you, glad you guys could make it. Um, like you said, I am Pastor Jason. I lead our young adults ministry. Um, super excited about what God is doing. Super excited about the things that we have coming up. Um, it's going to be a lot of cool stuff. And I'm super excited to get to bring the word tonight. Um, so let's just jump in, shall we? Uh, anybody have their Bibles with them tonight? So we are going to be in the book of Daniel. Old Testament, that's on page 737, if you have the same Bible I do. Um, Going to be in Daniel chapter 1 tonight, and uh, I'll give you guys a chance to open your Bibles, or for most of you, find it on your phone. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just jump straight in tonight. Um, before I do, I'm just going to pray real quick. I know we've prayed a few times already, but uh, nothing wrong with praying a little bit more. Father, we love you. God, I thank you so much for just for this word. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we dig into this word, Lord, that um, God, you would just reveal yourself to us. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it's living and breathing sharper than any two-edged sword. God, so I pray that it would just pierce our hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word never returns void. So I pray that, Lord, people would hear what you have to say. It would not be what I have to say, Lord. It would be your words, Lord. So we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Daniel chapter 1. So I'm just going to read this whole chapter real quick. So bear with me. And then we'll, we'll break it down some. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, 
Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should ye see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And if you've ever heard of the Daniel fast, that's where this comes from, obviously. He said, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. And I I just paused. I thought that was really interesting. I've always, when I've read this, just assumed that after 10 days of vegetables and water that they were super lean and cut and probably had a six-pack. But this literally says, the Bible says that vegetables make you fat. And so I'm swearing them off. It's just not worth the risk. Um, I can't risk it. Um, so this, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. The rest of the guys probably really loved Daniel and his friends for that. Um, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel chapter 1. You guys still with me? That felt like a lot. Y'all, y'all good? You awake? All right. Sweet. So there we have it. We've probably, you know, read this before. If you've been in church, probably heard the story of Daniel. And uh, I'm just going to say Daniel and the boys because that's a lot to just be saying their names over and over again. Um, we probably know about these guys. Um, but tonight, um, I want to dig into this a little bit. I've titled my message, I don't know if you see it up there, uh, Living in Babylon. And I um, felt like this was just on my heart to share. And I'm going to kind of give you some context for, for Daniel chapter 1 and, and why I believe that it's relevant for us today. Um, so Babylon, which is where these guys were taken to, was the greatest empire in the pre-Christian era. And Nebuchadnezzar was Babylon's greatest king. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was infatuated with continuing to build his empire um, to not only make it the most beautiful kingdom in the world, um, which it was very beautiful. He's even credited with um, creating one of the seven wonders of the world, the, the hanging gardens of Babylon. So he wanted it to be beautiful and impressive, but he also wanted it to be the most powerful. Um, if you study it, um, read about how much he, how much time and resources he put into 
fortifying the city, the, how thick the walls were. Um, he wanted to be beautiful and impressive, but, but powerful. Um, so not only was it those things, but Babylon was also known uh, for its wickedness. It was a very evil nation. Um, it was known for not only for its idol worship, they, they worshiped many different idols, but also just for its outright opposition to our God. Um, it was also known for its great sexual immorality. So if you're making notes so far, it's beautiful, it's impressive, it's powerful, it's wicked, sinful, over-sexualized. And I don't know, maybe this is sounding familiar uh, to, to some of you. Um, so King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and took some of the young men captive and brought them back to Babylon. Uh, Daniel and the boys were chosen because they were uh, super fit. They were good looking, very smart. Um, and, you know, that's why I really strive for mediocrity in my own life. Uh, <laughs> if this ever happens again, I'd love to just be passed right over. Uh, I could obviously be in great shape, be jacked, but it's just, again, it's not worth the risk. So um, these guys stood out, though. They were, they were um, just excellent in all, in all areas of life. Um, so that's why they were chosen. And the goal of this three-year stint in Babylon was just total indoctrination um, into the Babylonian culture. Uh, these were Jews that were brought out of Jerusalem. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar's goal was for them to just completely leave those Jewish roots, forget who they used to be, and become new people, um, new Babylonian men. That, that were assimilated into this culture. So maybe you see where I'm going with this, but today I feel like we are in a culture that is wicked, that is self-centered, constantly trying to indoctrinate, reprogram the way we think and the way that we believe, especially as Christians, as believers. So that's why I believe that this passage is pretty relevant, and I believe that we can learn a thing or two about how to live in exile from Daniel and the boys. So, y'all with me still? All right, so <clears throat> the first thing that I think we have to notice here, um, the first thing that Daniel and his friends did was that they consecrated themselves. And I preached on consecration uh, a few months back. We, we dove into consecration quite a bit. Won't be diving into it as much tonight, but that is something I think that's worth noting here. And, and consecration, again, is just being set apart. And one of the first ways they do this is, is to refuse the king's food, which, like we've you know, kind of touched on already, of all of the things that were wrong with Babylon, um, the food may seem like kind of a minor issue. Um, you know, there were plenty of things to to have a problem with, with the wickedness, the immorality, that kind of thing. The food, you know, kind of seems like maybe it's not that big a deal. Um, and Daniel knew that his appearance would be better than those who ate the king's food, but this was not the only reason for his decision to, to not defile himself. Um, this was the first of many larger tests to come. So the first thing I think we have to realize is we have to consecrate ourselves in the little things. Because if you compromise in the little things, it will be easier to justify compromising 
in the big things later on. The food may have seemed insignificant at the time, but I think it's actually deeper than we realize, deeper than we may think. Because first of all, the food that they were given probably was considered unclean by Jewish standards. Uh, It wasn't kosher, if you guys know what that means. Um, Also, the animals that were killed had probably been sacrificed to all different types of idols. So for Daniel and the boys, eating this food was almost the same as worshiping other gods. So again, a little thing that, it may seem like a little thing on the front end, but it's deeper than you think. Also, uh, the king probably wanted them to grow accustomed to certain things and become comfortable in that lifestyle. And that's what, that's what the world does. That's what sin does. It wants you to get comfortable. It wants you to, to be comfortable where you are. And um, again, the little things matter. They matter because little things prepare us for big things. And sometimes little things are actually big things in disguise. So consecrate yourselves in the little things. Also, we see that greater consecration leads to greater clarity. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. Greater consecration leads to greater clarity. In verse 17, we see, it says, for as, these four, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And I think this is because they set themselves apart. When you set yourself apart, you block out the noise from the world. You, you just un, when you unplug, you can hear God more clearly. If you, have, if you feel like you have not heard from the Lord in a while, you haven't gotten a word from the Lord in a while, you may need to unplug for a little bit. Because intimacy is the key. It's the key to, to greater clarity, to, to hearing from him, to understanding intimacy with the Lord. Something that I've always found interesting, um, and I haven't really gotten to this point in parenthood yet, um, but if you've ever noticed, like, you've got a group of parents, maybe you know, they brought their kids to the playground, and the kids are playing, and all of a sudden, somebody falls and starts screaming. And it's like every parent looks, and immediately the right parent knows, oh, that's my kid screaming. And all the chaos, all the stuff, there's probably other kids yelling, but the right parent knows that's, that's my kid's scream because they've spent so much time with their child. They've heard that, that cry. They've heard that scream over and over and over again, and you can discern it amidst all the rest of the noise. And that's the, the level of intimacy that we have to be at with the Lord, to be able to block out the noise, block out all the distractions, to have that clarity. So greater consecration leads to greater clarity. Also, I think we see here, they give a, a great example here of how our inner convictions have to be stronger than the outer pressure that surrounds you. Let your inner convictions be stronger than the outer pressure around you. They may have been in Babylon, but Babylon was not in them. We have to make sure that we are so full of the things of the Lord that there's no room for anything else to make its way in. Throwback. That is going to be stuck in my head the rest of the night. So we have to be sure that we are so full 
of the Lord, so full of his word, of his spirit, that there's no room for anything of the world to sneak its way in. Because we have to know that we will be filled by something. It's not a matter of if. There's no, really no such thing as, as vacant space in our lives. It may look like there is. I mean, men, sometimes you ask us what we're thinking about, and the answer is well, nothing, really. I mean, and that, that may be true sometimes, but that's a dangerous place to stay. We have to be constantly being proactive, filling our minds, filling our hearts with things above. Because if there's an empty space, it won't be empty for long. The world is constantly competing for real estate in our, in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. So let your inner convictions be stronger than the outer pressure that surrounds you. Because when you set yourself apart, people will be able to tell that there's something different. Their physical appearance and their giftings might have been what made them impressive to Nebuchadnezzar. But it was their discipline and their devotion that made them impressive to God. So consecration, that's the first thing that we see. I think the second thing that we see from Daniel and the boys is honor. An extreme level of honor. And I think what we see here is that you can be different without being difficult. I say that one more time. You can be different without being difficult. Anybody in here know someone that just is difficult? Just doesn't really matter what it's about. They're just going to be, just be difficult. Got to, got to love those kinds of people. Um, <clears throat> but that's not Daniel and his friends. They're able to set themselves apart without being haughty, holier than now, or disrespectful. And I think that's important because Daniel made a polite request for different fruit. He says, says he looks like he pulled the eunuch aside and asked him, hey, could I have, could I maybe not eat this food? Could, could you just give me vegetables and water instead? He did it in a very polite and respectful way. He didn't cause a scene. And I think had he been rude in this request, the eunuch, I mean, the eunuch had all the authority, all the power in this situation. He could have very easily said, nope, you're eating what you, you get what you get. You don't throw a fit. Um, but that wasn't how Daniel did it. And I think that's something to pay attention to because we must be gentle and loving in our approach to dealing with the world. Because we can, and a lot of times in those situations, we have the choice. We can make a point or we can make a difference. And I think sometimes we get so just dead set on what we feel is right and, and our opinions and this and that. And you may, you may be right. And you may win the argument but lose the person in the process. And I think just probably broad strokes as Christians is something that we've not done the best job of. And it was because they showed honor, even in exile, that Daniel and the boys were elevated in the king's court. They pursued favor with God before favor with man. And as a result, God blessed them with both. I think if we pursue favor with man... You probably, we probably won't have either. You certainly won't have, that's, not, that's a surefire way to not win favor with God is pursuing favor with man. And you might get favor with man for a moment, but we're such fickle people. So we change our minds constantly. People may love you one day and then the next day for no apparent reason, they may hate you. So 
it's like chasing the wind. If we, if we pursue favor with man, we won't have either. But Daniel pursued favor with God, and he was blessed with both. Mark Driscoll said it this way. He said, be a good citizen until you can no longer be a good Christian. Be a good citizen until you can't, till that keeps you from being a good Christian. And what does that mean? That means comply where you can. And so we have to understand that there's a difference between compliance and compromise. Do we understand that? To comply just means to honor someone's wishes or their commands. Compromise, on the other hand, means that you're actually having to make concessions or give something up. Complying does not always mean compromising. And I think a lot of times we masquerade our our pride and our stubbornness as conviction and steadfastness. We think, oh, I've got to stick to these guns because, you know, I can't compromise when really we're just being stubborn. Really what's being asked of us is not to compromise, it's just being asked to, we may, it may just be doing something that maybe we don't want to do, but that does not always mean a compromise. So there's a difference between complying and compromising. And we have to know which is which, and we have to know when to do which and when not to, because we have to choose our battles. Who, who's married in the room? Anybody? So when I say choose your battles, you guys know... Uh, you guys know what I mean. If you're not married, you probably know too. But I will say being married, is Reagan still here? No, she's not. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter. I would have said it anyway. But um, <clears throat> uh, Reagan, let me just say, she is an amazing wife. If, if anyone asked, tell her I said that. She is incredible. She's amazing. And there are, I'm super blessed because there are a lot of things, a lot of big issues that I know I will never have to worry about with Reagan. Um, I will never have to worry about her cheating on me, leaving me, doing anything like that. But there's just lots of little battles. Um, And I've learned, uh, being married to Reagan for nearly, oh, she's on the phone. That's great. Um, Hey, babe, love you. Um, I've learned being married to her for nearly four years now, uh, four years at the end of this month, um, which battles are worth choosing. One that I have chosen to fight is the, the way that she puts toilet paper on the roll, okay? So we all know, um, and I, this might be in the Bible somewhere, the, the right way is for the toilet paper to come over, right? Everyone with me? All right. If you go, any under people here? Okay. Yeah, y'all just don't want to get judged. That's all right. So it's not that Reagan is an under kind of person, um, it's that she doesn't think there is a right way. So it's different every time. I would rather her be wrong. I would rather her be firmly planted as an under person. Instead, it's just, oh, you never know. And that's just absolute chaos. And that is a battle that I have chosen. Um, I thought we were making progress. Uh, I found out, I think she did it yesterday. We're, we're, we've made zero progress, but it's a battle that I'm choosing. I will continue to choose it. But getting back to the point, when it comes to uh, our interactions with the world, we have to choose our battles, and we have to make sure we're choosing the ones that really, really matter. Um, 
yeah, there's a, there's a whole list of examples that I could go into. I think uh, COVID gave us a really good look into that, and um, I'm not going to get into all that. But we have to make sure we're choosing the ones that matter. And we see in Daniel chapter 1 that not only did Daniel and the guys comply, but they excelled. They didn't just say, well, this is bull crap. I'm going to just do, I'll do it, but I'm going to have a bad attitude. I'm gonna, I'll do what's asked, but I'm going to do just enough to get by. No, they, they not only complied, they excelled. They did what was asked of them, and they did it better than anyone else. When they stood before the king, it says they were ten times better than all the other men in the king's court. So be a good citizen until that keeps you from being a good Christian. The other thing is they knew who they were and whose they were. We see here that, that they're renamed. Now, that would be uh, something that we would probably all object to. Um, I do know people, I know like guys in their 40s who all of a sudden decide they're going to start going by different names. Um, and it's just like, I am not going to call you. I've, I've known you as this for this long. I'm not changing now. But if someone else decided to rename you, um, I don't think many of us would be cool with that. But we see they did not object. They didn't pitch a fit. Because when you know who God says you are, you don't have to worry about what, who the world says you are. When you know what God has called you to, it gives you the confidence to be able to do some of these other things and still know who you are, your identity is in Christ, and what you're called to do. So they knew who they were and whose they were. The last thing with honor is they were more known for what they were for than what they were for than what they were against. So we have to be more known for what we're for than what we're against. And if someone were to have a 10-minute conversation with you or creep on your social media, would they know more about your opinions on the current political administration, or would they know more about your love for Jesus? What if Christians were known more for their love for Jesus than their hatred of things that made them uncomfortable? There is a time to stand for our convictions and our values. But don't we think that the world would at least be a little bit more willing to listen if our reputation was one that loved first? So we have to be more known for what we're for than what we're against. So we have consecration, we have honor. The last thing is resolve. They had resolve. And in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Resolve, it just means making your decision ahead of time. Daniel did not wait until he was in the face of the decision to decide how he was going to respond. Great example of this. Uh, I don't know, how, many, how many morning people do we have? Anybody just a morning person? You just love mornings. I don't understand you people. Um, it just does not. I can't. I, want, I would love to be a morning person. I would love that so much. Uh, it is not in me. 
<clears throat> and there have been times in my life where I have thought, you know, I'm going to start waking up early and I'm going to exercise. First thing in the morning. Um, <clears throat> but I kind of leave it up in the air and just kind of decide, well, I'm going to set my alarm. I'll just kind of see how I feel in the morning. Um, and so you can imagine how well that has gone. Uh, when my alarm goes off at 5 a.m., um, take your guess on whether or not Jason got up to exercise. Uh, you probably know, based off of how I look. Um, you, that's a decision. You don't wait until you see, you know, I'm not going to just wait and see how I feel in the morning. You decide before I go to bed, I know I'm getting up. I'm not going to have to second guess it. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to work out. And that's what we see uh, with Daniel. And there were a lot of reasons for these guys to not make this resolve. Um, you know, when it comes to even just the food, like, first of all, they were away from home, away from their families and their communities. So, I mean, not a lot of people would have known if they had, you know, compromised a little bit. Also, we know the, the food came from the king's table. It was the same food that the king was eating. So I'm sure that the king wasn't just eating, you know, scraps. In a rough situation, the food might have been the one bright spot. I mean, food is like, for me, um, like when I go on vacation or me and Reagan go on trips, like I plan it around the food. Anybody with me on that? Like that is, like that's one thing I want to know is like where are we going to eat? So if I'm in these guys' spot, like I've been taken from my home, I'm, you know, taken to a strange place, I'm their captive, right? Um, I'm having to learn all this stuff that I probably don't really care about, but I'm getting some filet mignon, like, praise God. That's a blessing in my, in my mind. That's, that's the Lord looking out for me, right? But that's, that's not, obviously not the case. Um, they had been captured. They probably felt defeated. So another reason, I mean, why, why honor a God that by some accounts seemed like they had, had failed them? And they also probably felt like they had no choice. This was the food that was being served to them. Um, I mean, I don't think they had a menu and they got to choose what they wanted. It was, it was given to them. Um, so they probably felt like, well, I could have easily felt like we don't, we don't really have a choice. I don't know how many of us would have thought to ask the people that had taken us captive for a favor. It doesn't really seem like they're the favor-giving type of people, probably, but, but that's what they did. Um, so there are a lot of reasons for them to not make this resolve, but I think one thing we see is that it's easier to make a resolve when you aren't making it alone. Who you surround yourself with matters. If Daniel had made this decision alone, there wouldn't have been anyone to even know had he compromised a little bit. If, he just, if that decision he'd made internally, hadn't vocalized it, hadn't put it out there, I mean, uh, Shadrach and Meshach, Abednego, I mean, they wouldn't have known if he had gone back on his commitment because he had just kept it to himself. But there's power and accountability. So if there's some, something that you know you need to start doing or to stop doing, tell somebody. Put it out there so that you can be held accountable, so you can be encouraged in that. Because when you just internalize it, keep it to yourself, it's so much easier just to, you know, ah, no one's, no one's going to know. 
Discipline is making a decision one time and never having to make it again. Pretty sure I heard Pastor Bobby say that. As we read more into Daniel, if you, if you read the rest of the book, you're going to see where he and the guys are put in situations where they had to choose who they would worship and who they would bow down to. In chapter 6, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den because he refused to bow to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. <clears throat> I don't think these were decisions that these guys were making on a case-by-case basis. It wasn't every time this situation came up, every time they were uh, threatened, they were having to make that decision again. I think this is a decision that they made early on and never had to make it again. It's making a decision one time and never having to make it again. Making that decision ahead of time. That's the resolve. So, Josh, you can come play a little bit. So how do we live like Jesus in the midst of Babylon? Just to recap a little bit. We must consecrate ourselves. We have to be different. It's easy to blend in, to go with the flow. But I think it's time that we as believers start living counterculturally. Instead of being dictated, led by culture. It's time to go against the grain a little bit. We have to show extreme honor in every possible area. Again, there's, we know there's times where we do have to make a stand. But where we can, we should honor. Just because we don't look like the world doesn't mean we can't love the world. We can't honor the world. Be different without being difficult. How can we reach a world that feels hated and disrespected by us? And we must decide how we're going to respond. Whether that be in the face of persecution, in the face of temptation, we have to decide before we're faced with it. Because failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So let's just, let's take a moment just to respond tonight. We can just bow our heads all over the room. First of all, there, there may be people here who you're not living like Jesus because you've never made that initial decision to follow him. And if that's you tonight, I just want you to know there is a God who loves you, who wants a relationship with you. There's a man named Jesus who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, was crucified on a cross for my sin, for your sin, so that we can have relationship with him. And you may not be living like Jesus because you don't know him yet. And that's okay, but tonight you have that opportunity. So if you're in this room tonight and you don't know Jesus, but you want to know him, would you just lift your hand? Lord, I pray for every single person in here tonight, any, any heart that doesn't know you, any soul that does not belong to you yet, Lord, I pray that you would, God, convict their hearts. 
Lord. Reveal yourself to them. Show them your great love for them. There may be some of you tonight who, who know the Lord, but, but maybe lately you've been looking a lot more like Babylon than Jesus. You've not set yourself apart and you've just started blending in with the world. And tonight you know you need to set things straight to make a commitment to start living like Jesus again. And all heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you tonight, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? Lord, I thank you for these people, Lord, that have been honest and vulnerable. God, to confess, to admit, Lord, that they've just been blending in. Lord, I thank you for their repentance. I pray that you would give them the boldness, the inner conviction, Lord, to start living like Jesus, to start living like you, not living like the world, not living like Babylon. Lord, I pray that you would show them the areas where they've compromised, the areas where or they've They've missed the mark, the areas where they know they need to be a little bit bolder, a little bit more like you. God, and give them the strength to make that change. And some of you tonight, you may know that there's things that you either need to start doing or stop doing, but you've kept it to yourself. And tonight, you know you need to tell someone. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up here and Admit it to the group. But if you're here and you know you need to find someone who's going to hold you accountable, either to what you need to start doing or what you need to stop doing, someone that's going to encourage you to do what you said you were going to do. If that's you and you know that that you need that tonight, would you lift your hand so that I can pray for you? Lord, I thank you tonight for these who are here, Lord, who as as they've been here, Lord, you've been revealing things to them, Lord, that they know they need to do or things that they need to stop doing. Thank you that you've shined a light in their hearts on those things. Lord, tonight I pray that you would give them the boldness, Lord, the courage to find someone that they love, that they trust, God, to confide in to share this with, with that person so that they can be held accountable, so that they can be sharpened, encouraged. Lord, we thank you for godly community like this one. People who want to see each other grow. People who want to see each other look more like you, to love more like you. And so I pray there would be no embarrassment, no shame in in keeping these things to to themselves or that they would be bold to share them. Lord, we love you tonight. God, we thank you just for your presence in this place. Lord, I pray that as as we leave, as we go out from this place, Lord, that we would carry your spirit, your presence, or your joy and your love with us that we would be a light in our own individual communities, our our classrooms, our workplaces. I pray that people would know there's something different because 
different about us because of our, your presence. Lord, we know that your presence marks us, it changes us. Lord, so use us. Lord, use us to start a revival in this community, on UNA's campus, on Northwest Shoals campus, in Florence and Muscle Shoals, Tuscumbia and Sheffield. I just pray for an awakening. Lord, show people their need of you, their need of a savior. Lord, I pray that you would put a fresh fire in us, a fresh hunger. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. Connect with us through Instagram at wearechapelya or come visit us at Chapel in Florence.